I've got my children essentially 18 years in my house, right? I've got 18 years to allow them to fail and for me to pick them back up and put them back on the bike and send them back out and watch them fail again. That is their time to like learn how to fail because once they get out on their own, I can't go and travel to wherever they're at. I can't fix all their problems. They are now their own individual. When it comes to building a business empire online while intentionally cultivating a thriving life at home with kids, well, there is no roadmap. It's not easy, but the great news is we're not alone. We live in a crazy world that is truly unlike any other time in our history. And if you're like me, you've got an impact of your own to make, but you're not willing to sacrifice your relationship with those that you love in order to get it. My name is Stephanie Dove Blake, and this is the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast, where we'll journey together to learn what it means to be a truly powerful parent. Let's go. Welcome to the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. Today, we have a guest whose journey is a compelling story of transformation and self-discovery. Nathan Piper is a father of five and a master of balancing the complex dynamics of parenting and professional life. He brings a wealth of experience and insights to the podcast today, and I'm so excited that you are listening. In an age where digital dominates, Nathan stands out for his passionate advocacy for skilled trades. So he speaks from the heart about the importance of teaching the next generation practical skills from changing a light bulb to handling power tools. But Nathan's story isn't just about building structures. It's truly about building lives. His commitment to being a present and loving father and his dedication to his work and his belief in the power of failure as a learning tool makes him a unique voice in today's world, especially in parenting. His insights on parenting, the importance of allowing children to find their own paths and significance and self-reflection and personal growth are super inspiring to me personally. So I'm so excited to share Nathan with you. So join us as we dive in to have a great conversation with Nathan Piper. Welcome back to the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. I am here with Nathan Piper. And you guys, oh man, me and Nathan and I have had so many conversations around this vision that he has that I cannot wait to share with you. Um, but before we dive into that, Nathan is actually a father of five kids five kids and they range anywhere from 17 months to 20 years old. So this man has some serious wisdom to share with us as we're going to dive into what Nathan has figured out as far as parenting goes and life in general. I mean, this guy is someone who I I really love uh, just to be friends with because he does things out of the box. And so I'm going to ask him some questions so you can understand some of the adventures he's been on recently. But Nathan, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to the podcast. So excited to get to chat with you. Well, thank you very much. I'm I'm excited to be here. Always love talking with you, Stephanie. It's fun. And and you know, here's one thing I just want to open up the conversation with. And I know it's not starting right out into parenting, but you just took a journey. And I, I think it's just so out of the box and so awesome. Can you tell everybody who's listening what you just did? Yeah. So a couple of months ago, I ended up taking a, a trip to England and I ended up walking from the North Sea all the way across. And I can't remember what the other sea is, but the sea that separates England from Ireland. But it's called it was on Hadrian's Wall and uh, it was 128 miles that we backpacked and walked all the way across. And it was a lot of fun. That's incredible. I, I just who does that? Who even does that? But but I guess the bigger question is, why? Why would you do that? Well, you know, sometimes people just need to get away and and be in nature and kind of clear out their thoughts. 
I've done this for the last few years where I've set up a goal and a trip and, and kind of get away. And it's, and it's my time to have reflection. It's my time to have my own spirituality kind of like reborn and kind of like come back to nature, come back to God. And, and, and so I've got a very loving and patient wife that's allowed me to go and do these things. And um, it's been great. And it, it helps me. I get to journal, I get to write, I get to, you know, have intimate conversations with myself, I get to plan for my next my, my future. And it just helps me, it helps my business, it helps my interactions with my family with my employees. And so it's just dedicated time for me and been a, a real blessing. That's so awesome and and very inspiring because I feel like it's so rare that people take the time to dive into yourself. I mean, well, a lot of people, it's not necessarily that they don't take the time. But sometimes we just feel like we don't have the time. But I know you, Nathan, you're a busy man. <laughs> you're a very busy man. So you did actually, you had to choose to take that time and, and make that happen. Well, it's a conscious decision, right? So I had to understand that I'm doing something for me, but for us. And and then I had to plan it out. So I don't, it's not like something that it's like a, a whirlwind trip and it's or a weekend getaway. This was something that I planned out two years in advance. It was something that I, I knew where I was going. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew how I was going to get there. I worked through all of these things. I worked out how to be able to support my wife when I'm away, you know, all of that was planning and it kind of came into it. So I was gone for about three and a half weeks. So it's a long time to be gone. So planning came into it. So it's not a, a whirlwind. It's not a weekend getaway. It's something that you plan out in the future, but it's just something I've, I've done and I'm going to continue to do. Well, and I, I think it's super important for us as parents to think about how we can fill our own cup up because a lot of parents I speak to really truly are trying to pour water out of a cup that's really in, empty. And it's so difficult. And and I think sometimes, I don't know, I think it's just sometimes so difficult, especially for, you know, high achievers, but I think just parents in general to make sure that they have that time. And I know for myself, sometimes I'm like, well, you see the extreme, right? You see the extreme where uh, some parents, you know, all they're doing is getting away from their kids. And it's almost like, the norm is away from the kids and then they come back to the kids, they get stressed out and they go away and they haven't adapted. But I, I feel like the healthy version of that is, you know, just making sure that you're taking time and you know exactly what fills your cup. And so Nathan, I'm sure you, you had to like, I know what you did is not necessarily going to be everybody's cup of tea, but at some point you discovered that getting alone, like isolation, you're literally walking along this wall for weeks, literally weeks by yourself. Well, I figured out that, you know, you're either an introvert or an extrovert. And if you're an introvert, that doesn't mean that you don't like people or you don't have conversations. It just is how do you recharge your batteries, right? And what recharges them? And for me, I have to be alone. So when I'm alone, I recharge my battery. And so when, when my battery is low, my, my energy is low, my, my patience is low, my everything else is low. So I've got to charge my batteries. And when I'm, my batteries are charged because I'm an introvert, I give away all of my energy. And so 
extroverts, they like being around people. And so they absorb other people's energy. So for an introvert, the greatest thing that I can do is get away from, from everybody. So when I go on these journeys, I go alone and I don't have conversations with others. I might see people along the way and say hello and keep walking, but I'm doing two things. I'm, I'm moving my body. I'm getting exercise and I'm having solitude, which not everybody's going to have solitude, but it worked for Jesus. So I figured it might as well work <laughs> for me. And and so that's where that kind of started. And so I always pick a journey of a quiet destination somewhere I've never been before, somewhere unique on the planet. And I make some kind of good friend while I'm there. I get to, to dive into that culture. I get to experience these different things. But what I ultimately do is I fill up my cup past overflowing and I come back and I just pour that into my kids. I pour it into my house. I pour it into my employees. I pour it in my job. And I just keep pouring and pouring and pouring. And so that's essentially why I do it. Because five, six years ago, I was just stressed out and couldn't take anymore. And I think a lot of parents are like that, right? Where we just have so many things going on. We've got you know, practice and, you know, school activities and family obligations. And we're constantly going and going and going. But as parents, you know, we never fill up our cups. And if we do, we're doing it not in the appropriate way that's helping benefit. And I also think that it's good for kids to see that like mom and dad are going off to take care of themselves and how much better it is when they come back. And so it's not like we're, we're trying to avoid them or trying to get away from them, but they just need to be able to say like, okay, it's okay. Yeah. So what if you don't have three week window? Like, what do you do as Nathan? What do you do in your home whenever you, you, you know, your, your cup is empty and you're an introvert and you need to get away. What are some of your ways of recharging? So for me, solitude is a, is a big thing. And, and I've, my wife, she works in a hospital. So we have opposite shifts sometimes. And, you know, it might be I've got all the kids or she's got all the kids. And so sometimes, you know, I'll be stressed out and I've got to have some time to myself. And so I try to figure out a place where I can either take the kids where I can kind of have some some alone time where they're just running and they're in a safe environment. Or there's a, a place here locally that that's just kind of like a child care place where I can just let them be or I go to the movies with them or we go to the park and they go play and I sit on the bench. But then it's like, okay, I charge my batteries and then I get out there and I start playing and interacting with them because it's it's not all about me. They want my attention. They want everything from me. So it's like, okay, get my quick charge. Now what can I do for them? But I think so many people don't take that 10 or 15 minutes to just come back in. Another thing that I do that's a little trick that I, I kind of picked up is that I don't take my work home with me. So on the way home, and, and I only live... 17 minutes away from my office now. And so, but I still do this. I stop before I get home and I might just park the car, walk around the car, the parking lot. Sometimes I walk inside Target. Sometimes I, I just kind of be me for like 10 minutes and then do the decompression and then walk into the home. So I leave stress from work at work. And then I shift over and I become dad and father. And so well, what I love the most, what I love so much about what you're saying, though, is that you are tuned into actually what works for you. And I think that that is a really huge key because for some people, it can be just having that in between time, you know, and, and, and it's solitude or it's this or that. 
Um, for others, it might be, um, I know a friend of mine and her decompression time is getting to talk with a friend. And so she's very relational. And so she just wants to have that conversation and maybe vent or whatever. And then she feels reset. Right. And so that's how my wife is really. Okay. So, yeah. So if, if you're listening, you know, try what Nathan is doing, but then, you know, maybe it looks a little different for you. It might be that you need to exercise or maybe it's, uh, listening to a podcast or whatever that might be. But anyway, it's important to figure out whatever that is for you. Whenever we're talking about, you know, recharging and refilling, this is all for a purpose and a reason. Like we don't want to go through living life uh, with a battery on empty, right? But then, but even more importantly, I know for the sake of this podcast and the reason why I wanted to have you on is you show up for your family and you do that very intentionally. And I know that it's not easy whenever you've got five kids and they're all different ages, uh, it can be hard to figure out how to connect and how to be a great parent to each one of them and to show up for them. So talk to me about that and, and something that you've, you've seen really helps to build connection with your kids at all those different ages. Well, I'm going to say something that's probably, probably not talked about a lot is that every sibling has a different set of parents. Oh, and, and what I, I and what I mean about that is that the parent I was to my oldest and the parent I was to, you know, my girls <laughs> and the parent I am to my to my eight year old and the parent I am to my to my seven year old, they're we're, we're all we're all different, you know, and they have a different experience. And, and I think the biggest part of that is like trying to, you know, connect with each one of them to find out what what their interests are, who their personality is, how do I, how do I help and support them along that way and that journey? Because that's what it all is. I mean, at the end of the day, my belief is that God gave me children to interact with just so that I can help them find him. That's yeah. it. That's like, yeah. that's like my ultimate you know, job. Right. And so as long as I help them find him, then I did my job. And so that's kind of like just my philosophy. And um, so I try to connect with each child a little bit differently, make it special for them and see what I can do to help them. And so it takes time. It takes thought. It takes grit, basically, so that you can stay involved. Lots of grit and lots of energy, right? Lots of energy, and the, which can be very hard for introverts, right? Because you're protector of your energy whenever you're an introvert. Um, but I know you said something earlier to me about, you know, kind of something you see happening where parents are trying to live their lives through their children and, and how, yeah. And how, you know, you, you see this because you get, you're doing a whole bunch of things. You've, you've got the gamut, like we said before, 17 months to 20 years old. And you're, I think you were mentioning that you were helping coach a basketball and, you know, you're seeing, you know, these parents not necessarily interacting and, and, or, or they're trying to live their life through their kid. Talk to me about what you've observed and, and your thoughts. Yes. Coaching basketball, coach, coach football, boy scout leader, volleyball coach. So I've got a second job outside of owning my own company. So it's like my nighttime job is, is, is a full, full ticket. But what I see a lot is that, it, and I'm not, I'm not an overpowered coach where I think that we're just going to go out there and dominate and win. And, 
And there's a lot of them out there. And you see them because they're trying to relive their own childhood dreams and ambitions through their children and they're pushing them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with pushing your child or uh, trying to get the best out of them or or watching the improvement. I don't I don't I don't have any issues with that. But what I start to have issues is when the parents are are doing it for the wrong reasons and they're not listening to the child when the child is kind of not really engaged or doesn't want to do it. And they're, they're kind of just being forced into it because the parent wants them to be that cheerleader or that quarterback or that, that sprinter or what have you. And it, and it's not about them. I, I, this was a very tough lesson for me to learn on my, my oldest son when he was a kid I put him in in soccer and I put him in baseball and I put him in basketball and I, I try to put him in football and, and he is very athletic and, and, and can, you know, play the game and have fun and all that, but he didn't enjoy it. He didn't want to be there. And I was that parent that was on the sideline and he had another coach. I'm like, get out there, run faster. You can do it. Why'd you let that guy get by you? And, and he was like, dad, I just don't like it. And I was like, you love it. You're great at it. You're going to be good. <laughs> it's going to catch and just, on. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, just just do it. You're going to be great. And he was like, dad, I just want to quit. You can't quit. This is part of the team. You're going to be there. You made it a commitment. You know, I mean, I'm that guy. And um, I had to realize that it wasn't for him and it it didn't fit his interests. And, and, and when it, when it hit me the hardest was, I remember he was, he was like eight or nine. I think nine and he was on a soccer team and, and he was kicking dirt and picking flowers uh, on the field. And I'm like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Get there. And I, and I yelled at him. I said, if you score a goal, you can come off the field. <laughs> and so he ran over, crossed the field, took the ball away from the other guys, dribbled all the way across the field and scored the goal and didn't celebrate his kids. His friends were all celebrating. He didn't celebrate. He came running right off the field, sat down on the bench, turned his back to the field. And, and it was at that moment that I realized I'm pushing him to do something he doesn't want or like to do. And I am failing as a parent because we all have to do things that we don't like to do, but in an activity or a sport, I had to realize I wasn't doing it for him. I was doing it to fulfill my own ambition, my own uh, athletic career that I never got to see hit the the highest pinnacle level. And, and I was trying to pour that into him and it, it just didn't fit. So I had to do a, a self-evaluation and kind of figure out what is it that he likes. And we had to have those conversations. And finally he told me, dad, I just like it when we go fishing and we go camping and we go hunting. He's like, that's what I love. And I was like, Okay. And so ended up getting them into Boy Scouts and we had a connection there. So had to make that shift. And and I think parents, you know, when they're looking at activities for their kids to do, it's great to try them in a whole bunch of different activities. And it's great to get them going and get them started. But it needs to be something that the child is wanting to do or experience or be a part of. Now, I'm a, I'm a huge believer that every child needs to experience everything that they can for as long as they can and keep doing it. Even as adults, like go try new things all the time, like explore and, and find out if, if this is something that you like or you don't like, but when you start forcing them to do things because you like to do them, then you're not helping them become the person that, that they're really wanting to be. 
Yeah. And it can cause our kids to shut down and to quickly. Yeah. Or, or learn Act that. Out. Yeah. And, or, or just learn that performance is the only way to get acceptance or love from their parents. Like, oh, okay. I've got to be someone else uh, in order to make mom or dad happy about, you know, me and who I am and how I show up. And it teaches them to put on a mask. Right. Which I think that's ultimately something that Every kid and us included, as we're growing up, we learn, you know, what, what mask do I need to put on to survive this situation? Who do I need to be in this situation? And I think personally for me, one of my jobs is how do I teach my kid to be their truest self? How do I help them make sure they're not putting on masks? Or even if I can't stop them from putting on masks, at least help them to have awareness that it's happening and that they actually don't have to. And, um, and I think that that's, that's something that recently, you know, in the past couple of years that I've really started talking to my teenagers about in that, you know, Hey, we all do this. We do like, I, I don't know anybody who doesn't, you, you come across a situation and you can kind of chameleon to be whatever you need to be in that situation. And I know certain personality types are more bent that way, but they don't have to. And, and, and I hated that even as a kid, I had no idea that I was doing it. I, I was in my, my late thirties, whenever I w- someone literally called me out on it, uh, in a, like they were giving me a compliment. They were like, wow, whoa, Stephanie, like you just worked that room. And I was like, what worked a room? I didn't work anything. I, I felt like I was being my most authentic self, but apparently this person observed as I went from group to group to group inside of this room that I was changing my demeanor or whatever. And I had no conscious awareness of doing any of that. I was like, no, I don't, uh, uh-uh. I am who I am. Like I'm being myself. I didn't work any room. Like I was offended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was genuinely offended. And, and after some introspection and, and then actually zooming out and having more self-awareness at these different events, I was like, whoa, I am totally putting on masks to connect, to do this, do that, all these different things. And I had no awareness. And so I was like, what a gift it would be to be able to give my kid that gift of awareness. Because sometimes you're just so in the moment and you just don't recognize what you're doing. And so getting to help them figure out the puzzle that that they are is, is just a beautiful gift. And I love that you're leaning into that. Well, I think a lot of that has to come into when they hit that puberty stage and they're no longer... It's no longer cool to take mom and dad's advice or to be, and it moves over and transitions to peers and what their peers think about them and how they act. I, you know, me and my wife have a lot of conversations about this, but it, it is who are the friends that are around our kids make the biggest impact once they hit puberty. And so those kids are the ones that we start talking about parenting and we start talking about their, their sections and ages. Right. And and I don't think parenting ends at, at 18, right. (laughs) I think it ends somewhere around death, but you know, exactly. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, My, my, my death. Right. And so, but up until that point, I think every stage of life is kind of like, there's a new challenge. Right. And so we've got daughters that are 14 that are moving into the teenage years and, and kind of going through the struggles and the strife, but to watch the mask that they put on to each other and their friends was, 
you know, that's where the conversations where me and my wife kind of come into. It's like, look, their peer group is making a lot of these decisions and we need to help influence the peer group so that the the peer group is then helping re-influence our child, right? Because we can't go directly. But if I talk to, uh, you know, the neighbor's kid down the street who we've got a really good relationship with them. And I say, Hey, don't you think that's a great swimsuit? That one piece right there. Don't you think that looks really good? And she goes, Oh yeah, it does. I'm like, well, tell, tell, tell my daughter that that, that looks good. She was like, Oh yeah. She goes over there. She tells her that. So, I, I, so, so we start having the conversations like, we're not really ready for a two piece yet, but you know, but you know, that's kind of, <laughs> That's kind of how I see life anyway. Right. It's just kind of like, how do I, how do I help protect and, and kind of guide that? But it's, you're absolutely correct. The mass that people wear that they develop is the things that are the hardest for them to shed later on when they start turning 21, 22, 25, 30, 35, 40, even, even some, some, you know, parents that I know they're in their forties and fifties, they still haven't figured out how to shed their mask and be their true authentic self. And you know, I've done a lot of self-work on myself because, you know, I, I was a, a troubled, uh, troubled teen, troubled no. adolescent. Oh, I, I was. Uh, but <laughs> there was this one kid I remember in high school that uh, he was different and I made fun of him for being different. And I saw him, uh, I, don't know, I think I was about 30 or 31, and he had gone off to Harvard and graduated and started a business and, and he was living his own unique self, but he didn't change who he was from when he was in high school to when he wasn't a grown up and he just wore it. And when I saw that, I said, you know, he's, he's got something figured out there. He didn't have to smile for this guy and smile for that guy and, and sell off a piece of his soul. He just, was who he was. And I think that's a part of the mass that you're talking about right there is that it's important to to give them the freedom. And I started implementing it. And so last year he was seven and he wanted to wear this Pokemon onesie all the time to school. And I just let him wear it. I, didn't, I was like, I don't care. You you wear your Pokemon onesie, your, your seven ones, however you want to do it. He wore it to the reindeer games. You know, they said, wear your, wear your Christmas PJs to the reindeer games last year. He wore the po- Pokemon, you know, onesie all the way through. And the parents were looking at me and they're like, well, does he have reindeer PJs? And I was like, yeah, but he wanted Pokemon. So he's running Pokemon. They look at me like, well, why didn't you step in and correct it? I was like, because he's doing what he wants to do. Let him be him. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So talk to me about, um, your, your teenage years. Like does, does this philosophy that you have and the determination to let your kids be who they are come from some things from your childhood? Yeah, probably, probably a lot. I, um, I was a troubled teen very much. So probably, you know, I'm, all right. So <laughs> we're going to dive into me and my therapy session right here. <laughs> so I, I've always been a headstrong, stubborn person, and I've always been an entrepreneur. So I'm a, I'm a third or fourth generation entrepreneur. Um, Ooh, that's some strong just, genes. Yeah. I'm, you know, they just went back and it was, we're going to do things a little bit different. So I, I was that, that child. And so I grew up in a different era. Like, 
my mom, when I woke up in the morning, I had breakfast. I went outside and it was, you stay outside until the sun comes down and then you come back inside. Or so, the street lights turn on. Yeah. Or the street lights come on. So it's like, okay, we're going to find a way to figure out how to entertain ourselves. So it was all <laughs> kinds of things, you know, catching frogs and climbing trees and climbing houses, jumping off houses and, you know, running the neighborhood, riding the bikes, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, around the time that my parents got divorced, I had a, a bunch of just frustrating feelings and anger and, and all kinds of things. Didn't even know what it was. Couldn't explain it. And just started going, you know, just a little bit mean, but I would, I always try to find the bullies because I was a big kid and I was athletic. And so I'd try to find the bullies in the school. So when in sixth grade, I go up to the eighth graders and I'd pick fights because they were picking on the sixth graders. And, you know, it was, I was just that guy. I just, if I could, I would, and I'd just get into it. If there was and a so, wall, you were going to press against it. I was going to run through it, stomp on it, and then come <laughs> back and kick the, kick the pebbles. You know, I, <laughs> And I remember in sixth grade, um, this is so sixth grade. I, I remember <laughs> I got in trouble so much that I had a, a desk right next to the principal's desk in his office. Oh, and so no. It's like, it's like, it was just mandatory. Like, all right, go on down and, and go see him. And, and uh, he had this sign on his desk and it, and it said, um, there's only two rules. Rule number one, I'm always right. Rule number two, refer to rule number one. Oh, my <laughs> and, God. And, and I would look at it. I would say, like, you're not right. I'm never going to admit to that. You're never going to be right. I, you know, and I, I was just hard headed. And um, so anyways. Hey, powerful parents. Stephanie here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Did you know that statistics show that 88% of Americans say they eat dinner with their family every night or a few times a week? I think that's a pretty awesome stat. But if you're anything like me and you're an entrepreneur, then after a day filled of putting out fires and maybe various events testing your patience, sometimes it's hard to think of questions that can help you really connect with your kids beyond the standard, how was your day? When my kids were just littles, I put together a list of questions to solve this problem and to help us have something to connect with over dinner time. And now I would love to share my curated dinner questions with you. This is good for littles and for bigs. There's lots of different varying questions in there. And these questions are going to help to ensure that the conversation is not just lively, but will bring you closer to your children while you enjoy a delicious meal together. As a listener of this podcast, you can get access to these questions at www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Once you're there, make sure to type in your best email and I'll have my team shoot over the questions for you. Once you get the questions, I encourage you to make this a family affair, print them out, have your kids help you cut them out. We even grabbed a mason jar and my kids decorated it. And that's where we put all of our questions. And that same mason jar still sits on or near our dinner table to this day. We've been using these questions for close to eight years now, and I've really enjoyed the fun conversation and connection that's come from them. I hope your family enjoys them as much as mine have. Again, that's www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Now back to the show. So as you kind of grew up in, in that mentality and that way of just thinking and living through life, what changed inside of you? I'm sure that's still who I know that's still who you are. Otherwise you wouldn't have built what you've built, but you've matured in it. And I feel like all of our kids are showing us signs of who they are and how they show up in life. And, and because you were a troubled kid, that strength and that ability to make your own way and bust through walls, like it's made you into the entrepreneur that you are today. But obviously 
there hopefully is a way and I believe there is a way because I I feel like I'm experiencing that with my own kids. But you see this tenacity and this this ability, like this lion-like spirit in your kid. And you don't want to squelch that, but you have to figure out how do you guide it because it doesn't want to be controlled in any way, shape or form. And, no way. <laughs> and it's such a hard hard thing to parent. And I have some kids who are like that. Um, and I'm like that. I, I'm not, I don't, I don't know that I'm, I was quite as lion-like as you, uh, Nathan, but I, you know, like I see it in them and I'm like, Oh, that's so dangerous. But yet at the same time, it's so beautiful because I know some of my kids, I won't call them out by name, but like some of them, I know they're the people who will go into a raging battle to fight for the innocent. They will, knock down any wall that would stand between them and, and, and helping someone, you know, and they have that tenacity that they'd run into a burning building to save somebody, you know? Um, and they also rage against injustice and, and, and anything that seems wrong, they're ready to fight for it. You know, if that goes wrong, if, if there's not something to fight for, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like in the heart of every person, but particularly in young men, there's this heart that wants to fight for something. That wants to stand for something, right? And and I feel like in our society, we've tried to remove all of the problems, all of the things that our kids could have because we don't want them to have troubles. And in that, we remove their ability to press against the world. So they have to go find things to press against when there isn't anything because we've removed the hardship, which I hope this brings us over to a conversation that I'm, I'm just so excited to chat with you about uh, with something that you're currently building. But I didn't know if you had any thoughts on, on what I just said before we dive into that. Nobody should be afraid to fail. And nobody should be afraid to be knocked down. And nobody should be afraid to kind of go forward. And my mother did the very best that she could. But her her greatest thing for me that she gave me that I, I still hold dear to is that you've got to do what's best for you. And here are the guidelines. Here are the parameters. Don't cross those. And if you do, then, then, then you're going to have some serious trouble and you're going to have to pay the, pay the price, right? Whatever it is. And so, and this was me being a teenager. I wanted to get tattoos, right? So what did I do? I, I went and got my first tattoo when I was like 15 and a half, right? And so, <laughs> oh my and so, so, so then my mom set me down and, and just said, hey, look, you can, you want to get tattoos? You want to, you know, tear up your body the way that, that then, then go ahead. But here's the rules. It's got to be below the neck, above the elbow and above the knee. And so if you want to do something there, then go for it. And so she gave me that that parameter to like, okay, you're going to do it. I know that that's just what you're going to do. I can't I can't stop you because I can't watch you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But here are the guidelines. Here are the rails that you need to stay within to kind of, you know, be safe and, and kind of go on. And I can't tell you how many times I've looked back and been like, thank God I did not go full sleeve tattoos or face tattoo or, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, just because I had some guidelines there. And I think that's the point, right? It's not that we can't live in fear. Like we have to protect our children at all costs. Like I remember not having a helmet when I was riding around and it was like, okay, but we fell down, we got hurt. And then we got back up again. And I think life is pain, right? And we have to go through the pain in order to understand what else we need to do. And so if we take away all the obstacles that cause pain, 
We never learn how to deal with emotions. We never know how to deal with each other. We never know how to how to progress forward in life. And so, you know, I I think parents should really take an observation. It's like I I'm right on the same track with you. I think screens are 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 damaging kids and their brains and and everything else. But at the same time, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, so, they're not going anywhere. We we can't we can't just say oh we're just going to cut them off and it's that's it it's never you're never going to look at a screen that that's just a that's just a losing battle you're just you're causing more conflict between you and your child that you're never going to be able to 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 live past so what's a more important thing put some parameters around the screens the parameters around the shows and the interactions that they have. And, and if they are wanting to watch something, have that conversation with them while they're watching it. Or if you see something, be like, Oh, you see that that's wrong. That's bad. That's not there. It takes being able to, to be okay with that. Not everything's going to be perfect in life. Yeah. Well, and I think too, whenever we realize that not everything's going to be perfect in life and we aren't scared to fail and we let our kids fail, it actually shows them what they're made of, you know, and I feel like that's a lot of um, what's going on and what we see nowadays is, you know, hypersensitivity, just a lack of thick skin, honestly, with a lot of the younger kids these days. And um, I think it's, it's important for us to be put to the test and then come out on the other side and say, I made it. I did that. I'm capable of enduring that. I'm capable of rising above. I'm capable of making a smart decision in a time of crisis, right? Or man, I screwed that up and messed that up and I will never do that again. And then we learn from our mistakes. And so that's one of the biggest things that I think about, right? It's like, I've got my children essentially 18 years in my house, right? That that's the standard. I'm 18 years. I've got 18 years to allow them to fail and for me to pick them back up and put them back on the bike and send them back out and watch them fail again. That is their time to like learn how to fail because once they get out on their own, I can't go and travel to wherever they're at. I can't fix all their problems. They are now their own individual. So my job is to allow them to fail and kind of and learn how to cope with these failures and, and get back into life. It's one of the reasons why I don't like people's philosophy upon you know, the consolation prize or, you know, everybody gets a trophy and there's no winners or there's no losers. I, I think that that is a failed mentality that is hurting uh, the generation that that's growing up now and has been for the last 25 years, because if you never have experienced failure in a controlled environment and then you get out on your own, then your expectations of like, oh, well, I just need to show up at my job and I get a check. Well, that's not that's not true. And then you want to be like, why didn't I get why didn't I get my big bonus? Well, you didn't put in the work to win. And so teaching them how to win appropriately, teaching them how to fail appropriately. These things, these two things go hand in hand. It's like losing with grace and winning with grace are, are the same thing, but they but they look different. And if they can see it differently, then they can experience it and kind of go through life differently. And it, and it translates out in the future. I, I agree with you hundred percent. And that, that one that brings us over back over to what you're building. And I really want to talk about that because I think it's so important. We've been talking about this for a couple of years because we've been in this mastermind together and you know, your heart, you'd share your heart. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I love this because essentially what it is, is I have one son 
who has always just loved working with his hands. He's always wanted to build things. And ah, the reality is, is John Blake and I, this is not our forte. I can build you a computer. I can build you a funnel. (laughs) I can build you a marketing plan and a strategy. But you asked me to build something uh, with, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, And John is way more adept at that stuff as I am, but he wasn't taught. He doesn't know those things either as much, especially, I mean, he doesn't more than I do, but, but still, it's not like we could go out and say, Hey, your son, let's, let's learn how to build a dog house or let's go build a bird house or, or whatever, you know, to start that process. We'd be like, I don't even know what to do there. So, you know, we started talking about this. I was like, man, I wish there was a place that I could actually send my son to, to where he could actually follow this passion of his, because there really aren't any resources in my area where like I literally posted on Facebook and said, is there anybody who's familiar or uh, does woodworking or you're you're a builder, you do something and you want to have a, a second hand because my son is looking for something to do this summer and he really is passionate about this. And I did have one person respond. Uh, everybody loved the idea, but I only had one person respond and it was it was just difficult because, you know, he actually worked a full job and and also too, you got to, there's a little character situation there. I was like, well, I don't know if I want my son spending a whole bunch of time with you. <laughs> he was really kind though, but I mean, he definitely came with a six pack of beers and I'm like, he's, he's like 15. <laughs> That's not going to work. So, but, but I, I was, I was like, oh, I want to help my kid with this because this is an innate thing that came from him that he wants, but it's not like I can go sign him up for basketball, right? It's not the same thing. And so you and I were talking about this and you just exploded and told me your vision that you're currently working on. So tell Tell us about that. Yeah. So this is, it's kind of turned into a passion project that is, is that's beneficial. So, so let's, let's give some context here to it. So I run a construction company have for the last 20 years, done everything from ground up building, custom homes, remodels. I've ran the gamut. And so construction is like second nature to me. I grew up with it you know, as a kid and kind of transitioned it over into a career. I went and did other things, college and afterwards that were more in the finance department. But then I realized I really loved working with my hands and I really loved watching a transformation of something uh, ugly or broken to watching it fixed or repaired. And so that was really my passion. And so quit my finance job and went straight into uh, construction and, and kind of did that and been doing it for the last 20 some odd years. So that's the background. So our current state is that we are now in a, in a, in a part in our, in our country and across the world really where we have more construction projects than we have labor to fulfill them. And as we're going through this, we don't have anybody coming into the construction world, right? So we have a ton of projects for new construction, and then we have no one to do those projects. And then we have a whole other world where it's all about repairs, right? Home repairs, building repairs, all this, this stuff that's been built in 1900, 1920, 1940, 1970, 1980, like the buildings are still here, but they're in desperate need of repair. And we get a lot of calls, a lot of, a lot of customers. But when it started to really click for me is when I started realizing um, the, the average age of a master plumber is 58 right now. 
And the average age of a master electrician is 57. And the average age of a master HVAC guy is 51. And they're all on the verge of retirement. And there is nobody coming in. There's nobody there. And, and so the price of labor has skyrocketed because there's nobody doing it. And everybody likes to think, oh, well, that's just for the immigrants that come across the border that they need to be, that, that's our labor force. Well, they're not taught how to do this stuff either. They just start figuring it out. There's no, there's no you know, and, and the people that's having this stuff done, they don't know anything about it. So, and I started to think, I was like, well, when did this change? When did, when did we, you know, become a society that was relying upon others to do repairs and to, to like grow this whole service? Because that's really what America was built on. We were built on the backs and the, and the strength of our people and, and doing the work and, and forging the land and building the land and working the land and building buildings on the land and building dams and building roads. And like, that's what America was built on. So when did this, when did this shift happen? And a lot of it has to do in the early 2000s is when this shift happened, when we started taking these extracurricular programs out of high schools. And we started pushing the narrative that everybody had to go to high school and everybody had to go into computer science and everybody had to be into this world. And if you worked at home or, or worked on a home or you went and worked on in, you know, in tires, or if you went and worked any, any kind of manual labor job, you were a, a, not a second class citizen, but a third class citizen, and you shouldn't even be talked to. And so what ended up happening is, Everybody ran away from the trades and everybody ran into, you know, when I went to college, there wasn't as many colleges as there are today. Right. And now every child has to go to college and then they have to get a degree. And then they're after they get their degree and then they want to get a doctorate, then they got to keep going through school. But at the end of it, what are they really getting out of it? So long story short, or as I kind of keep ranting on, the problem came into is when we start, we stopped having fathers in homes that were teaching their children how to do basic fixes, you know, using a screwdriver to fix a door hinge or, you know, repairing their own home or fixing a toilet or fixing, you know, the screen door. There's a million things mowing their own grass, right? Like there's a lot of this stuff that's just gone away. One of my first jobs was I was 13 years old. I had up my own lawn mowing business, right? And then I had a fence painting business. And then I had clean up the, the yard business. And, and so but that was at 13. Kids today don't even have a job until after they graduate high school. Most of their first jobs are when they get into college. And really, it's like their second or third year in the college because parents are paying for them to go to college. Parents are paying for them to be have their dorm room, their food, everything else. And so they never even have a first job experience until they're 22, 23. Then they're told that they're great and that they've never failed at anything. They should make a million dollars a year and <laughs> so on and so on. Right. They all want to live the MTV Cribs life. It probably yep. dates me a little bit, but um, <laughs> but they all want to live the the uh, influencer life. That's the new one. You know, that's but a new one. They, you know, they want to live this life or this lifestyle that they see, but they don't understand how to get there. And no one has showed them the path. And so I started this when I, I had a guy come to me. He had, he, he just graduated college on Friday and he had two degrees. He showed up at my office on a Monday and he was like, I just need a job. And he drove all the way from Mississippi to Dallas and 
he was coming for an interview, but he packed up his entire car, all of his stuff. He had $6 in his bank account. And he was like, I, I just need a job because I've been interviewing and I don't have any place to go and I can't stay where I'm at. And it was a, a, a friend of a friend's kid that he knew. So that was kind of a relationship, but he just ended up like, I need a job. Had two degrees, never picked up a saw, never picked up a drill, never picked up, didn't know anything about construction, had a general studies degree and I think a psych degree. And um, anyway, so we got started. Within a year, he had fallen in love with working with his hands. And then within two years, he's been with me for seven, eight years now, but within two years, completely out of debt, paid off college, had an apartment and had a girlfriend within two years. And he had almost $200,000 in debt and he got it paid off because he was like, I'll work every night. I'll work every Saturday. And it, and it really showed me, it was like, wow, that's, that's interesting that number one, that a kid in his early twenties had that much ambition to go after and get it. But it showed me like how many other kids are out there. So I started diving into this more and more. And I started realizing that, there's this big void, especially in young men. There's some, there's some young ladies out there that, that want to be in the trades too. And, and absolutely there's a place for them, but there's a big void for young men who really need to adapt to the new way of life. And they're still trying to hang on to the, what I consider the lie that they were given that they shouldn't work with their hands, that they, they should only be in the computers. And if they don't like computers then something's wrong with them. That's not true. Biologically, they are they are meant to like dig in the dirt and put things together and build walls and and just work with their hands and little bitty things and hand eye coordination. Like biologically, they are built for it. And, and we have deprived them of that. We have deprived them as a society. We have deprived them of that. You know, and so I'm I'm putting together a, a university and a and a and an academy just to kind of focus on being able to give them a pathway that they can kind of come back into and start off. And so right now I'm trying to work with the 18 to, to 25, but I really want to kick off another program inside the Academy that will go down into high school in those teenage years where I can send over Home Depot and Lowe's used to do this program and they both kind of gotten away from it. But it used to be on Saturdays where you could build a little birdhouse like they'd have the packet already set up and you just take your child up to Home Depot to have tables out. And for an hour, you would hammer and nail and screw and paint. And next thing you know, you had a, a birdhouse or a toolbox or uh, a, a little race car. Well, I want to do something kind of like that, but we'll kind of go a little bit further. And I want to teach them how to like swap out the flange in the toilet or, or the, the knob or, yes, you know, change out please. a light bulb and just like, <laughs> all right, here's your package and here's what you got to do. Now go find what you got and let's go after it. And here's your tool set. And this is how you use your tool. And this is where it's supposed to go. And, oh, and just, so and just put tools in their hands because the more tools they have in their hands, the more they'll try to, you know, boys are instinctive, instinctively, curious creatures. So if you give them a, a screwdriver, they're going to say, okay, where do I stick this in? How do I turn it? Will it work over here? Will it work over there? Can I use it in the door? Can I use it on a window? Can I? They'll figure out a way to like, you know, bring it in and, and use it. But 
I just want to get tools in their hands and I want to kind of like help guide them to understand how that tool works so that they can kind of build off of it. I love that vision so much. And you're making it happen. Like you are literally in the process right now to where you like, how, how realistic is it to open this? Like, when are you looking at opening it for the public? So right now I'm, I'm working on just kind of like getting it launched and we'll probably have it up and going by March. And so I'll have the, the first students in there by March and I've already got a few of them. They're already kind of interested and they're all in that 22 to 25 range. And then once I have enough, I want to, kind of tear it off so that the people that are coming in that are learning, uh, I'm going to make sure that they have the right mentors in place. And so I'm doing a lot of mentor screening right now. So once I have all the mentors in place, because there's about 35 mentors that I need to, I need to kind of uh, lock in. Once I have those, then I'll open it up to a general public and we'll take on a bigger audience. But I think we'll cap out about a thousand a year. That um, is so exciting. I'm so excited. Yeah, about I'm getting this. excited about it. Well, listen, guys, if you want to connect with Nathan, Nathan, how, how what's a good way for, for them to connect with you to learn more about that? Yeah, so it's going to be called Contour University and Contour Academy. That's C-O-N-C-O-R. So it stands for Construction and Coordination. So we'll we'll have all those links up and going probably by the end of the week. Uh, but if they want to connect with me personally, just look me up on Facebook. Nathan Piper at Facebook, I think, is... Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll definitely link it in the show notes for sure. And um, I know we've, we've, we're kind of over time and I want to be respectful of your time, but I have just one more question for you before you go. Um, I feel like there's so much more we could have talked about for sure. We may need a part two, but um, one thing I would just love to know from you. And I ask this question typically at the end of the podcast is for Nathan Piper, what does it mean to be a good father? That's an excellent question for me to be an excellent father. How I view it is that do I love my kids? Do I fight for them? And that I'll be there for them. So my, my biggest thing is that I will never give up and I'll never quit. And I'll never stop loving them no matter what they do, no matter how upset they make me or how happy they make me or, or any of those things. I, I don't have any other parameters other than be with them and hang in there with them, uh, love them, teach them, guide them. And, and, and just, yeah, you because know, when I when I come back to it, it's like they're just on loan to me. And I truly believe just God gives them to me so that I can just help them find him. That's it. And so I can't ever give up on them until the day that I die. And so I kind of always there's that story in the Bible about the the prodigal son and and it kind of hits home for me. It's kind of like I know my children are going to mess up. I know that they're going to not be perfect. I know that I'm going to struggle. I know that I'm not going to be the best parent. I know that I'm going to overstep my bounds. I know that I'm not, I'm going to come up short sometimes. Like I know all of these things, right? So it's like, if I can just never give up on them getting to the point where they know him, then I've succeeded and I've won. And so that's kind of like my parameter there. Oh, that's so good. So good. Nathan, it has been an absolute pleasure getting to chat with you. Again, there's a couple things I didn't even get to chat about. So we may have to have a part two. But well, let's do a part two. I, we know. need to do it. We need to do it. But thank you so much for coming on. Um, are there any closing thoughts you might have to share with everybody who's listening? Parents, you're not alone. We're all out here together. This is a big community. If you feel like you need help and support, find somebody that's going to help and support you. Don't, don't feel like you got to do it alone and don't feel like you're 
you're failing them miserably and you can't overcome anything that's out there because tomorrow's a new day and there's always somebody else that, that can help guide or have some kind of assistance that will give you. So hang in there. hundred percent, hundred percent. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, we'll see you later. Bye. I truly hope you enjoyed our episode today on the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. Make sure to hit follow and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. You're not going to want to miss a thing. I promise. If you were impacted by this episode, do me a favor and leave a review with a comment. I read every one of them and I also pass them along to our guests. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links at powerfulparenting.com forward slash podcast. If you want to see more behind the scenes with me and my guests, be sure to find me on Instagram or Facebook. It's where we can have deeper conversations on these podcasts. Take care. And remember, it's not about being a perfect parent. It's about taking each day and working on showing up powerfully for our kids. They deserve it. And you are the parent for the job. See you on the next episode.